Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hi, I'm Whitney Lowe, and this episode of the Thinking Practitioner is co-sponsored by Handspring Publishing. Handspring has become one of the preeminent publishers focused on manual therapy topics, and their catalog reads like a who's who of the greatest pioneers, thought leaders, and teachers in our field. Handspring also offers a series of webinars called Moved to Learn. They are free 45-minute segments featuring their authors, including one from Till. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount on their amazing books. Thanks so much, Handspring. So Till, good to see you again this afternoon. And we have a guest with us today. We do. Cal Cates is with us today. All right. How are you doing, Cal? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Any day is a good day when we get to have a conversation with Cal. That's I right. feel the same. Yeah. And I, I want to say in a minute, I want to say a little more about why, Cal, I wanted to have this conversation with you and Whitney. But um, let's give you a chance maybe to say something about yourself. Uh, you do a lot of things. And what would you like people to know about you in this context? Oh man. Uh, well, I mean, it is, it really is, is not at all lip service to say that this is, this is probably going to be the most fun I have today, uh, talking with you too. (laughs) And, uh, I have so enjoyed, uh, till I think you and I tend to connect more specifically about some things, but Whitney and I, I feel like we, we have developed this really great ability to have a good natured banter about things that we can find what we agree about in a thing, even though maybe at least half of it, we don't agree about. And, uh, and that has always been uh, really valuable to me. Um, I think you know, the know, world needs a lot more of that, I think. Oh, too. It's a missing I skill. Mean, it's, uh, you know, I have wonderful constructive debates with you about things that we, I feel like always come out of them with different perspectives and, and uh, looking at things through different lenses. And, and uh, it helps me grow a Agreed. lot more that way too. So Agreed. yeah, I always think we, we all need more of that. Yeah, I feel it's actually it's a good segue because I feel like um, for folks who don't know me, I'm the executive director of uh, HealWell. And, you know, I think a lot of people think HealWell is, oh, they're the hospital massage people. And uh, and we certainly that is a lot of what we do, oncology massage and hospital massage. But we really um, we're working to foster a space where those kinds of conversations can happen more regularly, not only in the massage profession, but we work uh, across disciplines creating interdisciplinary education opportunities where, you know, nurses and social workers and massage therapists and physicians and all these different people who are caring for people can share what they've learned and share what their challenges are and, and really creating a space that, you know, in the social justice world, we talk about brave space rather than safe space. And I think that um, brave space takes a, a, a degree of responsibility that I'm not sure everybody's willing to to <laughs> to take on. But it it is a space where it's agreed that lots of discomfort will happen, but that respectful discomfort that is ultimately in the service of all of us becoming more awake and more alive. So um, really looking at those places where we're not able to connect or where it appears that we're not able to connect and saying, so what's happening here and how do we how do we just slow this down and move? Um, there's a, uh, a woman in the social justice sphere um, who talks about moving at the speed of trust. 
And I feel like um, that is not the speed that our society moves at. And I think we're really in a, a deficit of trust with each other, with our systems. And slowing down is really the only way that we're going to get there. And I don't even want to say get back there because I don't know that we've been there. Uh, and that's part mm -hmm. of what's hard about it. So yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> in a in a sort of expansive nutshell with lots of tendrils hanging off it. That's <laughs> that's what I feel like you should know. That's great. And thanks because, you know, I also want to just acknowledge that you are, Healwell, that is, is our newest sponsor here on The Thinking Practitioner. Yeah. And that was our idea. We approached you and said, hey, we uh, have some compatibility with what you're talking about, thinking about it. And personally, I've always admired your willingness to steer toward the deep waters and uh, really ask the tough questions and, and feel and think them through together. So I'm really pleased that you have signed on to help us do our podcast. It was an incredible honor and, and compliment that you all reached out to us. And um, yeah, we're really glad to support the show. And then I, I just also want to mention that you're an accomplished podcaster yourself. You do your interdisciplinary podcast with Kathy Ryan as well. Indeed. Yes. That's a great podcast. We strongly recommend people take a listen there. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I certainly have enjoyed it. And then yeah. you, you also have an online retreat coming up that I want to hear about uh, before we end. Okay. But, you know, I... I got interested in the conversation with you here today because of the article I read way back in 2018. And that's when I first uh, basically heard your name and realized you were out there thinking and writing and doing these things. And that 2018 article was Death, Dying, and the Breakability of Us All in Massage and Body Work. Uh, can you, would you mind telling us something about that article now here three years later or, you know, wherever it lives for you now? I would love to. I, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'd ever written a feature before. And, and I remember when, um, when the opportunity came up, I thought, gosh, what, what am I going to write about? And um, I sat down and it, it really sort of wrote itself, which, you know, anyone who writes knows that that's, that's often when the good things happen is when we get out of our own way and you, you step back and you go, whoa, that was, that was in there. Uh, but I, you know, I feel like it's such um it, it got so such a positive response and it was it was honestly so fun to write, which I think people um, when you think about death, I think our culture is still very death averse. And the idea that you could have fun exploring uh, death and and really in that article, you know, I, I was sort of highlighting that we imagine ourselves as solid and, and permanent and that it's part of what sets us up uh, for burnout as caregivers and just in general in our lives to sort of miss the whole point um, that we just think that how I am today is how I will continue to be. And the assumption that there's always going to be more time to insert things that you think there might be more time for that you're not doing now uh, because you can do it later. And it really, you know, my massage career quite by accident, I wound up working with people who were, at the end of their lives, kind of from the beginning. So this has been almost 17 years that that's the type of work that I've done with massage primarily. And um, it really, it just really changed my whole perspective on life. I can't say it changed my perspective on massage because it's always been my perspective. I, I was never, um, I went to a school that I think really allowed me to have a transformative experience um, 
it still sort of taught me technique, uh, but I took that technique immediately and moved into a space of sort of snuggling up to other people's suffering. And that changed the way I looked at what I could do and what was mine to do as a massage therapist. Uh, I'm curious too, when you talk about that <clears throat> in terms of, um, you know, a, a few different aspects of that, but uh, let me focus first on like, can you tell me some ways in which you saw that, um, like how do those changes actually um, impact what you're doing in an individual client interaction, for example? Is there, is there something that like changes an overall mindset or, or what is it that um, you really feel like most influences the way you work now from the, those experiences that you've had? Yeah, I think, I think my approach has evolved as I have over the years, but I, it's so much, it's so much honestly less about doing and it's very much about listening, whether it's to what the person is saying, what they're not saying, um, and really paying attention to my really human desire to have an agenda. And that, you know, when you put your hands on a client, when you're about to work with them, your brain really wants to create a map about where you're headed. And that to be willing to get to some place on this person's body and, and realize, oh, like the plan I made, maybe we're not going to get to the end of it. Or maybe this plan doesn't even make sense given what I'm learning now. And mm -hmm. being at the bedside with dying people is a really great way to practice that because it, no one, no, no two people die the same way. And whether it's emotional or environmental or whatever it might be, there are always things that you go, oh, I never would have guessed that was going to happen. And that can only happen if you get out of the way. And I feel like it's, it's very, our culture is not good at the idea of waiting uh, or allowing outcomes to unfold. We really, we prize people who create outcomes. And so to be in a space of not knowing doesn't typically feel like a place that's going to get you a promotion or that's going to, you know, get you more clients. And, uh, but it definitely gets you a better life, um, and a more real life. And I think for me, that's really been the key is, is feeling that in myself and working with people who thought they had more time and didn't has made it really hard for me to go back to sleep, you know, in a spiritual way. It's mm -hmm. remarkable. And so didn't, you know, one of the, uh, I read it over again this morning, one of the lines that I highlighted again was uh, being a massage therapist in the modern world is a total setup. He said, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the context you were writing that in. But I could tell you what I would think yeah, now. But tell yeah, tell me, because you, <laughs> you were leading up to that, I think, a bit just now. Tell me what, you know. Yeah, well, I, you know, people come with things that didn't happen in an hour and they want you to fix them in an hour. Oh. And our schools lead us to believe that that's a thing we can do. And mm. that, you know, to have a full practice, that's what you need to do. And so you have to hopefully pursue on your own, the schools, sorry, schools and continuing education. Sorry. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, continuing education yeah, yeah. is Even almost a, a worse in, perpetrator. In, in, that's right. <laughs> It yeah. is. I think yeah. so. This is the technique that will, you know, right. whatever. Yeah. All right. But, so, you're saying but that's when a people setup. come to us, no matter why they think. Yeah, because I, I think that we miss we miss the point. Um, I think that when people come to a massage therapist, um, 
you, <laughs> I feel like, so right now my, my son is practicing this thing where he's, he's, he's 10, he's going to be 11 in a month. And he's spent a lot of time at grandma's. And, um, I think he spends a lot of time at grandma's because grandma lets him use his screen kind of all the time. And at the other two houses where his parents live, he doesn't get to do that. And my ex-wife said, you know, I said, you know, I think he wants to be over there more because he kind of, there's not a lot of rules and whatever. And she said, no, I asked him. And he said, no. And I was like, what 10 year old is going to go? Yeah, I'm going where there's no structure. I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like this, <laughs> this kind of connects because when people come for massage, they're not going to say, I'm here to be treated kindly and for you to see me completely. Hmm. A, because nobody says that. And B, because they don't even know that's part of why they're coming. They're coming because they pulled a hamstring or because they have neck pain or whatever it might be. Um, and so we, we skip over the really deep human need to connect. And we have this story that you are either present and connected or you're addressing the issue. And that if I'm, you know, I know that there's that horrible pejorative term out there, ortho bros. If I'm an ortho bro, I can't also be compassionate and present with the people I work with. And I just, I don't believe that. And I feel like we're really missing an incredible layer of our ability to be of service to our fellow humans when we look at each other like a collection of parts. And I feel mm -hmm. like our our continuing ed and our foundational education really supports this idea that we're not a whole we are this attachment, this insertion, this functional ability. And that's, we specialize and we get smaller and smaller when we reduce ourselves and each other down to inaccurate beings. You know, one of the things that um, this brings up for me, this kind of like taps into the, some of the conversations you and I are always having about education and what we need to do to fix many of those problems in there. So much of what you're describing, I think, is... Uh, absolutely critical for uh, the best clinical outcomes for anybody that you're working with is just being with them in a therapeutic context in a, in a compassionate way. And, you know, I, I always kind of go back to this like uh, question of like, how the hell do we teach this kind of stuff? Because a lot of it really comes out of individuals doing personal work on themselves and basically learning to just be that place, be in that place. And I have always struggled with like, how do you convey those concepts to people about, uh, you know, for me, I, I actually, I have to admit, I've never heard the term ortho bros before. Oh, you haven't? Whitney, no. you're an ortho bro. I was going to say, I probably would be called <laughs> one of You're king of the ortho bros. Yes. <laughs> and at the same time, what doesn't get conveyed I think often in my approach is the many years that I spent studying, you know, meditation, spiritual practices, you know, compassionate uh, actions with other individuals that totally influence the way I interact with the client just as much as my knowledge of kinesiology and biomechanics, et cetera. And that's so hard to teach. It's so hard to get those pieces across. And I want to go back for a second to the setup idea and stay with that just a little bit because isn't the, it, don't clients want to be fixed? Don't they come to us with a problem that they really want us to eliminate? And, you know, don't we, in our uh, best of intentions, desire to help fall into that and want that too? 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if your client jumps off the Brooklyn Bridge, you're going to jump off after them. You know, I think this is one of these things that we we actually my colleague and I, Carrie Jordan, wrote an article again for Massage and Body Work a couple of years ago about um, I think it was called Tell Me More. And it was about um, intake and how the client is not always right. And then this is another disservice that our education does to us is that we have to find a balance between to be a successful massage therapist, you do need to develop a spirit of entrepreneurship, I think, and and maybe less so than when I went to school, because you can actually work for a franchise, you can work for a company and provide massage. So maybe you don't need to run your own company, but that we we're sort of taught how to be massage therapist as though it's a service industry. And in the service industry, the, the client, the customer is always right. And, you know, in medical school, they don't tell doctors that, you know, if your client, come, if your patient comes and tells you they think this is what's wrong, you better just give them this, this pill that treats that condition, right? But, but that's what we do as massage therapists. I think a lot of us say, oh, you think it's this? I'm going to address this. And I think we have to be willing. I mean, this is, it's so funny. Till and I were talking before we got on about how, um, you know, to move forward as people, as a profession in, in the world, we have to be willing to lose things. And I feel like we're so afraid of losing clients that we do what clients tell us they want instead of what we know might be of greatest service to them. And we're afraid to stand in the truth of what we've seen from our own experience and what we might understand from what they're saying and not saying again and what their tissue is saying and, and inviting them into a place either by the way we work with them or even sometimes with things that come out of our mouths to just, I hear what you're saying and I hear that you want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. This is the way that I work. We're going to try this. It didn't happen overnight. We're probably not going to change it overnight. But if you'll trust me, this is where we can go. And I think that we really, and I think it's it's very dependent on your practice setting and the pressures from, you know, if you have a supervisor or a manager, or if you're doing a 50 minute hour for people who are paying a discounted price. And I mean, there, there are setups in the ways that we work, you know, logistically as well. But I think we really have to, if we're going to integrate into healthcare and be on par with healthcare providers, we have to start thinking that way. And this is one of the key ways that we don't do that. Wait a minute, we have to start thinking what way? Because so many healthcare providers, especially say in the physical therapy space here in the US, complain about the limitations of a defined set of treatments. Is that yeah, what you well, mean? This we, need is, to, we need to start thinking like that, you're saying? Well, I think we need to start thinking about we need to hear what clients are telling us uh -huh. and listen to the whole story. And I think this is the beauty of where we are right now in massage in this way, because in the healthcare picture, PT was so, quote, successful in getting into insurance reimbursement and that whole part of the structure that now if a person has knee pain, you have to work with their knee. You know, if you work with their hip, you've got to really work hard to justify. Or if you work with their shoulder to address their knee pain, where as massage therapists, I think the push-pull of us moving into the space of reimbursement and integration in healthcare is trust me to practice my discipline. Trust me to know that this person's ankle pain is coming from their right hip and that I will hopefully affect positive change for this person, but I will only be able to do that if you allow me to use everything I can perceive from my own experience and training. And I think a lot of other healthcare disciplines are limited by the ways that we're willing to reimburse and by the ways that consumers are taught to consume healthcare. Or what if it's even, I'm just kind of thinking out loud a little bit. What yeah. if it's, 
what if we don't even have to fall back on trust me, but what if? What if we go to what if? Things aren't always as they seem. What about an experiment? What yeah. if we work your hip? Let's see what happens with your knee. Absolutely. So it, it becomes less like, this. can you please, please trust me and my expertise and my knowing? And more like, could we actually step outside the box a little bit and experiment and see what, what you notice, what could happen for you? Yeah. And I, and I think that we have to be taught. I mean, this goes back to Whitney's point that the problem is that self-awareness is not a concept. It's an experience, right? And so mm -hmm. how yeah. do we slow down our teaching enough to allow people to transform and know themselves? Because as a person right out of massage school, you probably don't even maybe have the, the experience to be able to go on a, a journey, the end of which you don't know <laughs> where it will be with a client. Right. Um, but it wouldn't even occur to you to suggest that if a person comes in with this, a pain in a specific area that you might actually touch them in another place to affect that, right? Like they might, I mean, we've all had those people go, no, no, I told you the shoulder, the pain's in my shoulder, you know? And you're like, I know. Well, <laughs> Turns out your shoulder's connected to these other things. No, actually I come from a tradition where the tyranny might tip the other way. Interesting. Where, no, we assume it's not the knee. Yeah. And that if we don't, if we aren't able to untangle it from a holistic perspective, we're missing it as well. Yeah. Which is an interesting switch on the Newtonian model. Because it's, yeah. you know, there's a tyranny of holism as well, where we realize that Absolutely. sometimes it can't, maybe yeah. it's just the need for goodness sake sometimes. Well, and it's, I think yeah. it's the tyranny of certainty, right? It's like, if mm -hmm. you are certain that it's never localized, right? That if the cert person says it's their knee, that it's got to be something else, then you're missing the point. And if you're certain that it's always the knee, we just want to know, you know, I mean, yeah. that's really where we fall down is right. our, just our really human desire to be right. Okay. And fundamentalism too. I think just, you know, the, des the desire to, to always have, you know, your perspective, your system, your modality, whatever, be the, uh, capable of answering those things uh, the way you want to have them answered. Absolutely. You know, fundamental, fundamentalism exists in so many different avenues for, for us professionally, personally, et cetera. Yeah, it does. But I'm not, somehow I'm not satisfied yet. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, no problem. And it is, I mean, it's, I have my own ways of doing it and it's one of the biggest things I think about and try for, but I still want to, I want the two of you to kind of help me think through this. Clients want a result. And uh, what we haven't mentioned is, I think, the fact that sometimes we have to help redefine that result. We have, you know, we we've said, okay, so trust me, maybe this will make your knee better if I work with your hip. We've said we shouldn't, we can't be certain, but sometimes uh, it's almost like we have to move, we have to help move the goalposts, help the clients reevaluate what they're even hoping for and what they're wanting. Especially, let's say, I mean, I'm mad. This is why I'm interested in talking to you, Cal. Especially if what I'm facing is something that's going to end my life. Yeah. I mean, I think this this circles back around to another way that being a massage therapist is a, is a setup. Like, do you ever go to a psychotherapist one time? No, right? But people come to a massage therapist one time or once a year on their birthday or when it hurts. Uh -huh. But we don't get to enter into a relationship with 
some of our clients, we don't get to enter into that ongoing relationship that allows us to, I feel like you just described another type of experimentation as you sort of, you see where people are starting. Some people really need you to spend that first hour with their knee. So they feel heard and they need to see that that did or didn't work. I mean, and that I will work with your knee and maybe even though I think it's something else, turns out it benefits you. Um, But we try it maybe once, twice, three times. And if working directly where they're wanting you to work isn't working, then you've established this, I hear you and I'm willing to do it your way. And what do you think? Like if you're still coming back, now we're cultivating a relationship that allows us to really be in conversation about what will be most useful. And sometimes it's even, let's redefine what we mean by working. Absolutely. Because if it's if the touchstone becomes, is your knee pain still there? They're going to get up and shake their leg and see if their knee still hurts. You right. know, and it's just this binary <laughs> right. kind of either I fixed it or I didn't model still. And we're getting more clever and maybe whole, more holistic about how we're trying to fix it. But yeah. it's still, we haven't moved the goal at all in that case. And I think, uh, Till, this sort of um, taps into what you and Ruth were talking about in the previous episode, too, in discussing clinical reasoning that, um, you know, I really see a lot of clinical reasoning as uh, an if what um, sort of perspective, like, if I do this and then what happens, that tells me something. And that, that's that's how we can kind of get that um, entrainment with the client to get them on our side of, of seeing seeing those different types of things. But, I, you know, what you're saying, too, I think is so pertinent that if you, if you think something is not somebody's knee, for example, and they come in and say they have knee playing and you think it isn't and you don't address that for them, they will have a dissatisfied experience and that's not going to be therapeutically productive, most likely, because they're just going to feel like, oh, they didn't listen to me again. Somebody, other healthcare professional didn't listen to me and didn't do things. So um, it's almost like there's a certain degree to which um, you go through those processes and see how, uh, you know, how they result. And then you're able to say, well, we did this and that didn't happen. Let's then like Cal, you were saying, let's explore further in, a, in another uh, place or something. Yeah, well, and I think that this is a place where we make ourselves too important. You know, I mean, you spend an hour with this person and they go home wearing those same crappy shoes, right? Or they go and they sleep on their same crappy old mattress. Or, you know, when we're working in the hospital, particularly when we're working with patients in the ICU, because they're on continuous monitoring and you can actually watch what happens while you're working with a person. We're really clear with the therapists who come through our courses that when you go into the electronic medical record and you record what happened, that you don't say massage caused a decrease in heart rate, an increase in oxygen saturation. You just say, observed change during my visit. Because that might have happened whether or not you were there. There's no there's no way to know. So, you know, when we say, oh, well, their knee pain's gone, I must have done it right. You may have helped. And also they may have gotten new shoes or maybe they got out of that crappy relationship or, you know, we're one piece of this really multifactorial experience of being a person in a breakable body. And what do you think about this idea that uh, I think maybe just to oversimplify my working hypothesis, um, if I can fix it, why not? Because there's a lot of things we can do that just make things feel better rapidly and sometimes in a lasting sense. But if I can't, actually, that's where it gets interesting. 
And so then I get more creative. Maybe I refine my clinical reasoning. Maybe we get, you know, take a different approach. Maybe we get more, uh, you know, empirical or deductive or we get, you know, we get around it in different ways. But then along that continuum, at some point, it moves toward, again, shifting the expectations from the symptom going away to living well, even in the face of the symptom. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're we're definitely in the same church, if not in the same pew. And I feel like you know, there's not a there is not a single therapist or person that therapist might treat who won't benefit from that therapist being more self aware, and by noticing your expectations, noticing your agendas. I mean, because we have them in and out of the treatment room. It's not like these are unique behaviors that we yeah. engage in when we're working with clients. Do you, do you see your work at all as helping clients accept what's happening? Absolutely. Okay. So um, how, how, what's your one quick trip of, trick about doing that? Well, um, you, I guess what will. I would say is my, my, se- <laughs> my secret tip is that it doesn't happen with my face hole. I don't tell them to accept and relax and surrender to what's happening with them. I work with their body in a way that says, whatever's happening here is okay. And maybe when they ask me questions where they want a definitive answer, I answer in a way that allows them to create their own answer. There's certainly some some skills that I've stolen from my social worker colleagues in terms of open-ended questions and allowing people to explain themselves to themselves. I think it's just so seductive as massage therapists, we want to perceive ourselves as experts on bodies. And when our clients ask us, from a place of fear or a place of concern, what's happening here? We just make crap up, you know, and we might not know what's happening. And that's, that doesn't make us bad practitioners. Uh, so I think it, it, if, if, if any level of acceptance or surrender is supported by the way I work with people, it is what happens with my hands, what I do and don't ask them to do. But it's not actually, you know, when people say, take a deep breath for me, I just tense up. I'm not taking a deep breath for you. I'm going to keep breathing so I don't die. This isn't about you at all. Right. And then I'm like, are we getting into nocebo here? Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's, you can do that, but it's not because you tell them how to meditate or how to breathe or any of that stuff. Yep. Yep. Do you think uh, this is just a question that just came to mind as we were talking about that whole process with the, the breathing thing. Do you think, I mean, I often hear massage therapists um, come up with some very colorful and creative narratives about what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Like pretty far out on the plane of accuracy. But the clients don't necessarily know that that may or may not be what's really happening there. Do you think there's any detriment to to that if they get... uh, if that helps, you know, further the the client therapist um, bond and and connection with each other or something like that, and they're like, oh yeah, I really get that sense or something like that that's in there that my humerus is spiraling around counterclockwise or something <laughs> like that, you know, whatever it is. Right. I mean, is it is there in fact maybe a therapeutic benefit if if something that you say or do in those along those lines does something more to get your client connected with you in a way. Well, I mean, I think it what winds up happening is like the worst game of telephone ever, right? Because then, you know, yeah. so I'm driving my son back over to his grandma's last night and he told me all about zombies and werewolves and how 
um, we were, it was a torrential rainstorm and it was, he was talking to me about how zombies fall apart in rain like this. And I'm like, listen, I'm not a zombie expert, but if zombies fell apart in the rain, like the zombie movies would be nothing. Right. And then he started yeah. throwing in some lore about werewolves. And I'm like, listen, I know some things about werewolves and what you're saying is not true. But had he been speaking with someone who was not so in the know, I could be going out today to happy hour talking to people about how, don't worry about zombies, we just need one good rainstorm. And so right. now everybody lets down their guard, right? So, right, that's a ridiculous example, but it isn't. Because like, you know, we were talking about last weekend at yoga, you know, our the yoga instructor talks about when you, when you do a, a twist, you're wringing out your liver. No, you're not. Yeah. Your liver is not like twisting like a towel at the beach and like toxins are oozing into your interstitial spaces. That's not what's happening. But because these are the terms we use, this is really what people think is happening in their bodies. And I, I don't know that that's terribly useful. Or at least yeah. if we say, imagine this is happening. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there's something yeah, yeah. to that. Because maybe yeah. these are all metaphors anyway. Right. And if we yeah. present it and work with it that, that way, maybe we're in a bit more integrity in terms of our authority, but sometimes yeah. they're useful met metaphors and sometimes our trust in the metaphor can be therapeutically useful as well. If we're being clear that it's a metaphor and uh, who knows. Well, and that's, I mean, I think our, our textbooks, I mean, the more time I spend doing webinars and, and courses with Gil Headley, the more I want to just burn every, you know, anatomy textbook, because I think this is another place where we're supported in the idea of like, this goes here. And so when I say to someone, oh, you know, I'm on your whatever, you're in the vague vicinity yeah. of this. If your body has this or, you know, whatever, there are all these questions about what's really going on under the skin. And I think it's just another way that we um, we try to make ourselves smart and help our clients feel safe because we know stuff, but we don't really know a lot of the stuff we say we know. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what... How about you, if I can ask, what got you interested <laughs> in this, especially around, you know, the uh, breakability, death and dying thing? Is that what got you into that? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had a, a my story is mostly retrospective because I, I, I don't really have like a, oh, you know, this thing happened. And then I, um, you know, I think being gay and then being trans and being um a like the only female on the male soccer team in a south carolina high school and all these experiences of difference and kind of perceived isolation and i'm looking around me and not seeing any good mirrors um really set me on a path uh, you know in my probably er early adolescence of like huh what what is this that we're doing here? Like, what is the point of even life? Um, and in massage school, I mean, I don't even know why I went to massage school. Anyone who knows me knows that my story is that like one day I just wound up in a massage school orientation and I was like, oh, well, I could do this. Um, and then I started, when I got to massage school, I was like, oh, like this is why I'm on the planet. I don't know where this is going to lead, but I really, th there's something to this. And, um, during massage school, I was working with my grandfather at the moment that he died. And um, I had no training or experience for that. That had not been normalized in my family. And certainly being present and calm at the moment of someone's death is not a Western thing. But that is how I felt. 
Like I was like, wow, I really love this person. I'm really sad that they just died. And this doesn't feel like an emergency to me. And I felt like, okay, there's there, I, this is what I want to do. Um, and it, in retrospect, it was probably a really selfish motivation because I felt really alive and connected to something inexplicable in that moment. And I wanted more of that. I wanted to be in a place where like sort of the veils were down and the layers of protection were not available, even if for just 30 seconds, you know, as I watched him take his last breath and then be dead, it was like, what? Wow. Like there's so many stories we're telling that we don't even know we're telling that are holding up our relationships, our systems, our everything. I want to know more about that. And so I sort of threw myself into uh, hospice massage and just being in places where people were forced by circumstance to take off their, their armor and to just be available for that and to learn from people who were like, yeah, so, you know, I spent my life being this person that wasn't really who I was. And now here I am possibly dying and it's too late to fix it. And I think that's really essential to our job as caregivers. I mean, we do, we want to help, but we want to help so we can stop feeling the suffering. You know, I think if we don't go inside and really notice that so much of what we call caregiving is actually a desire to move ourselves out of a place of discomfort. Um, and people get all bristly and they go, that's not true. I just love people. And I'm like, that's cool. But your defensiveness is really instructive. And so I just recommend that you maybe <laughs> consider that there might be some truth to it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're actually a really normal person and that you, we are wired to avoid discomfort and it really, our avoidance of discomfort allows racism, systemic homophobia, uh, you know, capitalism. <laughs> I mean, all of these things that really build on each other and keep some people up and some people down is because we are just trained to not feel and to stay away from things that make us uncomfortable. One of the things that um, <clears throat> comes to mind here too, in this, you know, I've seen this so many times over the years. You know, my uh, background was in actually psychology before I got into massage, and I was in a graduate program studying counseling. And um, you know, there's a lot of aspects of massage where we are in a very close, intimate relationship with somebody for an hour, you know, one-on-one -on -one talking with them and doing things. And a lot of people kind of get this motivation of like, I really want to help people and do some of the things that you're talking about and get them to change their perspective about the world, their relationship with dying or their relationships with things outside their physical body world or something like that. Um, and it's always been a little bit um, scary for me because I recognize that many times through the very best intentions, people can do some pretty, um, I don't want to say damaging, but problematic uh, interactions with people because they don't understand sometimes the subtleties of how to come across with some of those kinds of things. Have you seen that sort of thing happen? You know, we talk about so the importance so much of you know, who you are and what you've done with your own personal development to be able to get to places, but you know, like what kinds of things have you ever seen that kind of like go sideways and be a problem? Oh, I see that all the time. And I, and I want to mm -hmm. go back to your, um, your sort of, uh, hesitance to use damaging, because I think this is a really common thing that we do. It's damaging. We don't want to mm -hmm. call it damaging because we didn't intend for it to be damaging, but our intent and our impact are not married the way we wish they were. 
You know, yeah. just because I didn't mean to hurt you doesn't mean I didn't hurt you. And yeah. this is one of the many sort of layers of self-awareness that we need to bring to our experience as humans and certainly becoming better global citizens and understanding that we are harming all the time from a place of mindlessness, from a place of, you know, rote behaviors that we've just always engaged in. And until we can slow down and be willing to say, my the unintentional nature of this harm doesn't remove its impact. And I have to be willing to notice that the ways that I've talked with my clients or the ways that I've done whatever it might be that has perpetuated harm, now I'm aware of them. And, and I think this is part of why people don't open their eyes fully, because once you're aware of it, you have to do something about it. Or you know that you're knowingly not doing something about it, and that's a crappy feeling too. So if you just keep going, you don't have to be in that dilemma of, oh, now I know this. What do I do about it? Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. But part of what you're, what's around your question too, Whitney, is a question of scope. Scope in terms oh, yeah. of our uh -huh. role with people. I mean, so if, so if I... If I want to do something besides fix it, does that mean I need to make it uh, make it psychologically better, if not physically better, in a way? Or does that take me into realms where they're traditionally outside of our my defined scope as a therapist? How do you how do you address that in your trainings, Cal? Or your well, I, I think we really we work with our students actually to get really good at open ended questions and with the you we resist asking questions because we're afraid what we'll do with the answer. And sometimes people just need to talk. And mm. sometimes it's really useful yeah. for people to have an open-ended question offered to them and be given the space to answer it themselves. And that it's not actually our job to even say that makes sense. Or what are you going to do about that? Right. When people hear themselves respond to a question like, um, for instance, this isn't a massage thing, but a friend of mine's mom is is dying right now. And she texted me last night and she said she just started morphine, which if you're in the end of life world, you know that that's sort of an indication that she's moving into sort of the active dying phase. And instead of saying, oh, God, that's awful. I just said, what do you think about that? And then she just told me what she thought about it. And she said, I don't want her to be uncomfortable but I'm also sad because I know this is like another step closer to her dying. And that's all. I don't have to yeah. say, oh, that must be awful. Or, you know, I wish I could do something. Just shut up. <laughs> Just let people, yeah. you know, have their experience. Yeah. Well, it, it poses a real challenge for us, I think, because from, yeah, I mean, we this is not a real dichotomy, but if you could make the dichotomy between what we do with the physical body and what we're doing with our sort of interactions there, we're kind of on this mindset, like we're going to do something. Yeah, to, gotta do. Uh, change you or fix you or whatever. And so therefore, or at you know, least like, you need to leave feeling, at least you need to leave feeling better. Even that's yes. a setup in the bigger yeah. sense. Totally. Right. Yeah. So I got to feel like I, I have to make a suggestion or do something here. So. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to just, you know, put this out there just as a curiosity, because I mean, you hear this sort of stereotypical thing all the time. Uh, especially more from male therapists because men want to fix things. You know, they want to just do <laughs> That's something, right. arr, not arr. listen, just listen. I mean, like maybe there's, you know, I don't know, maybe there's some also some truth in that too. Hmm. I know I'm, uh, I can see myself fall into those patterns frequently. Well, and I think that really caregivers want to fix too. I mean, I do, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I think when we work with nurses, 
man, talk about some people who want to fix and who don't want to feel mm. for the most part. I mean, obviously we can't say all nurses are like this, but I think when you move into that space, people who choose, it's well documented that the people who choose to take care of other people have deep wounds themselves and typically haven't spent the time to become truly intimate with those wounds and what they have learned from and integrated and what needs to go from those wounds. And so they wind up being a wounding healer instead of a wounded healer. Um, and that these are people who really need to feel valuable, who need to feel like what they did mattered and who have a hard time believing that spending an hour in meaningful connection with another person is a worth $90 or whatever you charge, but also enough. And that I think we do more harm by trying to do than by finding that space where we can be with this other person. Yeah, lovely. You want to tell us about your June retreat? Oh my gosh. I'd love to tell you about it. Um, so it. it's, so it's called opening to the mystery. We've been teaching it. Gosh, probably we, me and my alter ego. I don't know. I've been teaching it for <laughs> about 11 years and, uh, it's always been a live, uh, retreat of course. And we, we piloted a virtual version of it last year. And I, I really, I was very skeptical because it is uh, very sort of, um, it's based in connection and, oh. There's some silence, there's some meditation, there are definitely sort of dyads and triads where we work together as members of the class and, and explore things. And it, it really, honestly, um, it used to be a three-day weekend, so it was three seven-hour days um, exploring your mortality and, and being present to that. And turns out that's a lot to do in three days. And so now we do it in six days where in the evening for three and a half hours each day, we explore those same things. But it allows a lot more time for metabolism and integration. And um, people have said that they just really, it's enough. Three and a half hours, is a, they're just almost full by the time we're done each day. And then they have time to integrate and then they're ready when they come back the next day. And where do I stay in DC when I come do this? Uh, <laughs> well, when it's live again, you could stay at my house. Oh, you mean it's online? Um, oh, yeah, okay. it's online. Yeah, we didn't yeah. say that yet. So it's an yeah, online no, it's, training. It's, yeah. It is virtual. Yeah, so gotcha. uh, it's uh, it's in late June. Um, and it actually is 21 CEs. It's considered healthcare massage, but it's also 21 CEs for nurses, social workers, doctors, psychotherapists, a variety of other healthcare disciplines. And it's basically, it's three days of, or six now, six half days yeah. of uh, getting out of your own way and really engaging in, you know, what is called memento mori, remembering that you will die, mm. that it seems counterintuitive, but engaging with our mortality and the impermanence of everything around us, in fact, invites more joy into your life and lets you really do kind of a spiritual decluttering of like, wow, like what relationships aren't good for me? What, you know, dynamics am I engaged in that are actually sucking my life energy? And, and to be able to start asking yourself every day, if I died today, if I died tomorrow, would I be glad that I spent today doing what I'm doing? And to really, it's not about massage at all. It's not even about healthcare. It's really about what does it mean to be an authentic human engaged in a moment to moment way? And how can I start noticing how often I'm not doing that? And to do it with some other people in a really intimate space who also want to just experience more joy and be more themselves than they feel like they've been. Lovely. 
So you're, you're immersing in the being aspect. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it's That's way great. more fun than people would think. I mean, everybody comes out of that class like, wow, I thought this was really going to be a downer, but um, it's a lot. It's heavy. It's deep, but it's just fun because you go, oh my gosh, these are some crazy stories I've been telling that just don't serve me. And I could just stop. Uh, <laughs> and it's opening to the mystery. Uh, mm -hmm. What's the mystery part? All this stuff we've been talking about. I mean, we mm -hmm. we don't know as much as we think we do. And and we really don't know what's going to happen when we die. We don't know how much longer we're going to live. Uh, we don't know what our potential is. And to, to be, and not our business potential or our income potential, but our like human soul potential to really be the person that we arrived on this earth as before we learned all this cultural stuff that taught us to to feel ashamed and small and quiet and acceptable. Sounds great. Well, I'm glad we can give you a, a, a place to speak about it. A chance yeah. To hear thank about you it. very much. Well, yeah. I assume you guys will put the link in the, in the show notes. I am actually going to try out my sponsor uh, blurb for you here in a minute. But awesome. before I, yeah. Before I do that, Whitney, anything else you want to ask or say? Uh, no, I, I, this is such a wonderful conversation. So many places to go with it. So, um, yeah, I would, I would just, um, you know, encourage everybody to really look at, uh, some of these things that are so very important for us in growth and, and personal development that have a, a big impact on how you relate with the, with the work that you're doing. And these are the things that are much harder to quantify. They, they aren't a magical technique or modality or things like that, but they just, they make so much difference, not only in your in the treatment room with people, but they make a lot of difference in your life, uh, too, I think. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. That's the being dimension. Yeah. Heal Opening to the Mystery is a unique online retreat designed for those who want more access to their wisdom and to cultivate deeper, more authentic relationships, both professionally and personally. Led by Cal Gates, our guest today, participants will snuggle up to their own mortality but the course is not about death, it's about living and about how to invite more joy, more clarity, and more simplicity into your life and heart, no matter what your job. The next retreat will be June 21st through 26th, 2021, and is approved for 21 CE credits for massage therapists and other healthcare professionals. Use the coupon code THINKING at your checkout for a 10% off on the retreat at healwell.org. And we thank um, all of our sponsors for the show here. We thank uh, the, the sponsors and, of course, our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us here today. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and extras. Uh, you can find that stuff uh, over on my site at theacademyofclinicalmassage.com. And, Till, where can they find that uh, with you? My site is advanced-trainings.com, where there are show notes, etc. Cal, we mentioned healwell.org. Are there any other uh, links or references you want to insert at this point? Well, online.healwell.org is where you can find all of our online education. And a lot of that is those soft skills that uh, we don't think about, communication, ethics, anti-racism, stuff like that. And uh, you can come check us out at our private online interdisciplinary community uh, at community.healwell.org. Great. If there's questions or things you want to hear Whitney or myself talk about on the podcast, email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media. Mine's just under my name, Till Luca. How about yours, Whitney? And you can find me under my name also on social, and you can follow us on Spotify, 
rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening. And of course, if you're unable to find us in any of those locations, you can grab an eight-track tape of the Venezuelan tuba ensemble doing a cover <laughs> of Jimmy Page's guitar solo from Stairway to Heaven and find us over there. Yes. Wow. Kindred <laughs> souls. Indeed. It's awesome. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Cal. Thank you, guys. Sounds good. Always a pleasure. We'll look forward to chatting soon. Excellent. Okay. See ya.